Welcome to Null Pointers. We are your hosts Mark Alibone, Stephen Davison, and Gerald Versluis. And today we will be talking about bots. Meet Mob. But before we go and talk about bots, and there are a whole plethora of bots that we hope to discuss today. There has been a bunch of snow here in Switzerland, which again, I think is not really of that much interest, but it was so much, even the Swiss public transport broke down. Uh, but I'll save you of that story. No, the other, I think the other big news that was, I mean, last week we talked about it, that WhatsApp has came out with a privacy policy change. And now it seems WhatsApp, that really hit home hard. I mean, the privacy policy change, which should have been coming out on February the 8th, is now delayed until May. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I So the, I think the way they sp- are spinning this is like people are not understanding our new privacy policy. Uh, they are thinking like they're, we are doing things that we are not going to do, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, I don't know. I didn't really read it to the letter, uh, but I can imagine that that is not actually the case. So they're just trying to spin it a little bit positively for themselves because um, actually, Mark, we have we are talking now. I think we mentioned this. We are talking now over three different messaging apps, <laughs> one of yeah. them being Signal. And uh, I don't know. I had some actually I opened Signal after a while and I had a good number of I wasn't unhappy a good number of my contacts have actually um, um, joined signal as well um, so that is really cool and I started messaging with with one or two of them um, and I couldn't get through so they are they had an outage uh, because they I think they also posted on their uh, Twitter account like you know the uh, in Android you can see the download numbers like in really like scaffolding like you know uh 10,000 to 20,000 something like that 10,000 plus something but i think they went from 10 million to 50 million or something in mm-hmm. a short amount of time so that's already crazy so they had an enormous load on their servers and uh, they couldn't handle it anymore um and that together with the fact that whatsapp is now going back on their decision with like whoa we're postponing our thing a little bit uh, i think the numbers on whatsapp were dropping quite rapidly and um they are kind of panicking yeah 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 i i had the same impression i mean one thing to be said signal came officially out with a statement that they have fixed the performance problems but scaling a system up with 40 million new users within a week is quite a challenge i am sure and the other thing is i remember whatsapp coming out with an infographic and you know i mean something is really not going well when someone comes to you and says listen, this new privacy policy that we do, we need to have an infographic to let the users understand what exactly we're changing. And uh, that was that was really interesting. And I think the there must have been some quite significant uh, numbers changing on those dashboards within the headquarters of WhatsApp slash Facebook that a change like this would, uh, would come along. Yeah, and they even put up things in newspapers, I believe, where they were page big ads that that we're absolutely not doing something wrong please don't uninstall (laughs) yeah isn't there like this saying that when a company takes out a page large ad in a newspaper something is definitely going wrong for them 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's not a sign of everything's okay. Nothing to see here. Just move on. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we totally we're totally in control, and we are really happy about what's going on right now. Not. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting to see uh, how much like that little podcast of ours can can change in the world. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, huh. we say go to Signal, and everyone goes to Signal, man. It's just that's yeah, just that's the how it is. we do. Yeah, yeah, but Gerald, you said it before. Uh, right now, really interesting times. Now, one upside I must say, which has come from all of this, is since using Signal a lot more. And for me, I think Signal is like the preferred one from the privacy policy and all. I hope Signal could make the race. But I also got Telegram, and a lot of people are now coming onto those platforms. And I have taken up quite a few conversations with old friends that you somehow have not seen anymore for a while. So they pop up, hey, this person now has joined that platform and you just have a little chat. And I thought that was really nice. And another thing that I noticed was when I was comparing these, I made like these charts on the walls and all that, and Excel spreadsheets, I didn't really do it. <clears throat> I didn't really do that, but I might could have done it. No, but I, I really checked into those things. And one thing that I noticed is, Telegram has got this interesting point that it has got an open API. And with that, what it does enable is you can actually write bots, which then hook into Telegram, which will do your bidding, whatever that might be. But what is a bot actually, Stephen? I heard you are like our quality expert. I am the bot expert here. Well, that's expert is maybe over exaggerating it a bit, but Hey, why not? Um, so basically, a bot is a, a piece of code that runs somewhere um, that lets you fire commands at it, and it'll perform them. That, that's the real basic version of it. Um, I think if you've ever visited a website where there was this little chat bubble on the bottom right or something, uh, where you could chat to a help desk or so or or something similar, most of those are powered by some kind of bot that basically just spits out frequently asked questions pages, I would guess, um, or at least some sort of support page based on your question. So basically you form your question in a normal language like English, for example, and it finds the keywords, looks it up in its own dictionary of things and gives you back some kind of help text. That's obviously just one example of what a bot could do. I mean, there are as much use cases for bots, I think, as there are uh, programs out in the world, basically. Um, I have bots that automate some of my crypto trading, for example. So that's mm. a totally different thing, but it's fully automated and I lose money fully automated. So that's, that's great, <laughs> Yay. right? <laughs> Yay. And your yeah. bots tell you automatically. So that is great. Yeah, and they inform me through Telegram or Discord or whatever. So. It's, I mean, it's, a bot basically is is nothing more than a server-side thing that is running. So basically, if you write a website in ASP.NET and you run that somewhere, that is a thing. That's some kind of application. And if you, you know, make that, um, uh, make a connection to Telegram because the API is open um, and you suddenly allow to, you know, send 
um, commands to that server application, um, and and maybe because you know then you set up a channel with that bot because um, that is just another person that has joined your chat, um, and that channel is set up and you have credentials for it. Um, then your server side application, you know, can do its server side stuff. Maybe do trades in crypto or whatever, um, and then send back information through that channel, and boom, suddenly your server side ASP.NET application is a bot. So, you know. Technically speaking, it's nothing more than a REST API, basically, right? Yeah, I think that pretty much uh, sums up how the basics of a bot can be. I remember the first bot I think that I encountered, and we have said this quite a few times on the show, is we're getting old, is on an IRC channel. You had these auto-moderation chatbots. And I, back in the day, I was so mystified how you could make a piece of text so that someone could write a command into a chat which would then execute code back on the server. And as you naturally said, Gerald, it's it's just your standard ASP.NET Core web application. Maybe even has been since ever. But what else can we do when we think about making a bot? So what do we have to take into consideration when doing a bot like that? Like Stephen, I don't know, did you did you do your bots on your own or did you just take it off the rack and I uh, I did them pretty much on my own. Um, obviously, there's for every use case, there's there's probably tons of API wrappers out there. Like like you said, it's if you want to call some kind of API, like even even turning on the lights through Google. I mean, is that is that a bot? Essentially, you're telling it something, and it it turns on the lights through some kind of common API. I guess maybe not a bot in in the most common sense sort of thing. But in my case, uh, what it does is I give it a command, like in in Discord or in Telegram. Um, it reads it out and it performs something that I defined in in an Azure function, for example, which are awesome for this kind of stuff. But that's a whole different thing. But yeah, it's it's a matter of hooking up some libraries in in the most cases, at least for what I've done with it. So a Discord API, for example, or Telegram API, they're firmly wrapped in in all sorts of open source uh, nougats, which basically allow you to write a few lines of code to respond to that kind of message or to receive or look for a certain kind of message, um, fire off something else and handle it that way. So that sounds doable, even for someone like me. Even for Um, simple people. Even no. for simple people, yeah. I wouldn't call you simple. Swiss, yeah, that's better. I'm way too complicated for being simple, that's true. No, but another question that I have, so you said before cryptocurrency. So just just to make sure, I mean, I'm pretty sure your bot is not like one of those demo apps that you write. It just has got a REST API and anybody can now start trading with your cryptocurrency and tell the bot like, yeah, just get that no. money onto my account. So how, how can you solve that part? How can you plug in a bot like into Telegram, which is open for everyone, but ensure that only you or certain people can actually invoke those commands? Yeah. So in the case of both of those platforms, actually Discord or Telegram, a lot of these platforms basically work with what is called a webhook, which is a URL, which, well, it's it's large, so it's it's very hard to just stumble upon that. Um, it can, it contains a key and and maybe even a an application ID that you need to generate yourself somewhere in a portal or or in a developer environment. And and typically you could even like for example for Twitter, if you want to post something on Twitter, you need to make 
an application uh, in their developer portal. You get private keys, um, some other keys, I think access keys, they call them. And all of these things need to be combined into a request before it even like posts something on Twitter or in Telegram or whatever. So these, these things are known basically only by you because you're logged into the platform at that point. It's in your dashboard somewhere. And it's like pretty much everywhere where you copy a private key or something. It tells you copy it now because we're not going to show it ever again. And yeah, just keep it safe. Don't publish it somewhere on the interwebs. So yeah, that that's typically how that kind of stuff is, is sort of made safe so that only you are the one who can uh, do something with it. Okay, so you so there's some kind of API key which it will then give you so that you can make this. But that would then mean also that if I want to make a public-facing bot, like uh, anybody could use it, that would be a bit more tricky, I guess. So it's you have to be a bit technical then to hook it up into Telegram so that it's privacy-enabled. Yeah, pretty much like in, in Telegram or Discord, uh, a bot is basically... Just a kind, just a user. Just he's automated, basically. So you invite that person or that user into your server or into your conversation. Um, so you you explicitly need to start a conversation with that thing. So that's the point where it can be public, but because you are the one initiating contact, basically. Yeah, that's that's pretty much where it all comes together. Okay, interesting. So I could I could do this thing. I could I could maybe one day start a a chatbot, I guess. I know that a couple of years back, there was like this huge hype uh, in creating these bots. I I remember uh, that they even said maybe the days of apps, of mobile apps are over uh, because we will just all use our chat messaging and we can then just all interact with bots. I can then make reservations for my flights and for my hotel. I don't have to any longer create those apps and install them and just use them. Uh, there was also this very good app uh, on my phone forever. It's called a browser, which often also does a lot of stuff like that. But um, no, kidding aside, I mean, I have this feeling like these bots, they come in waves. Like there's like these generations when you always think like now now we can do really great bots and i, I know that's uh, one of the things that they try to push a couple of years back was like this natural language processing so you said it before when you got a bot you create a command you have to issue a command so that means on the asp.net core server of gerald that he's created you somehow have to recognize ah he wants to buy some bitcoins Ah, oh, but just just go to some some customer service desk thing from something that you're using, and you'll probably end up hitting a bot and tell me again how intelligent they are because you'll get frustrated in two seconds and <laughs> go cursing at the thing and um, ask for a human to talk to them. But you know, on the other side, there are pretty good bots by now, and it's going kind of hand in hand with like how good the AI is becoming, right? Because like you say, Mark, like if you go back like to the old kind of IRC kind of bots, like, you know, bots are very old, which is basically you just send a command and it does something. But before the commands had to be very specific. So you had to have like, you know, you really had to say like buy Bitcoin and then it would do that. And then maybe you had some parameter like buy Bitcoin 50 and then it would go out and buy 50 Bitcoin and you would be poor. What's happening now is uh, I have all these kinds of, I think we've talked about that before and I'm not going to say it in one sentence because then it will go off again, but I have these personal assistants from a brand that you might know from search engines. And they are, I think, 
as far as like you know the the speech things are going they are really king with that thing um and what that does and also like the the language processing from the the cognitive services and that kind of stuff from microsoft is pretty good um and what can, what that can do is like recognize certain intents from the things that you're trying to say so you know you're saying like i would like to buy bitcoin and then it you know it sees that you want to buy something and the thing that you want to buy is a bitcoin um so you know it, it understands what you're trying to say and you can say it in multiple ways um and you're feeding data to that ai and the ai gets smarter and it will know um it will pick up on the, the the ways that that different people are saying things, and it will uh, learn to recognize what you're trying to do, rather than um, having that fixed command that you um, actually have to, you know, input to uh, trigger trigger action. So, um, the better that gets, the better the whole AI gets, the better those bots get as well. Um, and I think uh, talking about all of this with with together with like the language processing, I think Microsoft at some point launched the bot framework, right? Is that something you've ever used? I've personally not used it in real projects. I remember once playing a bit around with it and I think it, it brought in like some building blocks, how you could especially do these uh, first level customer support uh, issues where I think a lot of companies, they're really looking at ways how they can reduce costs. Like if there are any easy to answer questions, uh, like uh, have you tried turning it off and on again, stuff like that, that you could then automate that or give that off to a user in an automated fashion. Similar as you would say a FAQ maybe. So if you're too lazy as I am sometimes to go and read the FAQ, you could then ask a question to a computer which will read through the FAQ for you and then give you that answer that you might be looking for. And I remember also that those demos, they worked really well and they were only given in English. And um, we have touched on this in our localization episode uh, that in Switzerland, we have a quite a few local languages and none of them is really English, even though a lot of people speak it in uh, Switzerland. So yeah, I think it's again a, a different kind if you want to go down that route of automating these things with bots and having real conversations. I mean, you also have to consider where your users are. And I think as long as you're in the in English speaking part of the of the world, there are a lot more options when it comes to this natural language processing and in the rest of the world we might still have to wait a bit longer until they get that uh, NLP down to levels uh, that will be tolerable for human beings. But now we have talked a lot about um, these chatbots and, and all those things, and I know that you can do them into Slacks, into the Slacks and the teams of this world, and you can you can automate a whole lot of stuff. Uh, you can automate, I think, CI/CD workflows with them, uh, make releases, get stats from something. And I can see a lot of use there, but there are also other bots that we can use in our everyday lives. Uh, I think, Gerald, you're one of a huge fan of these automation bots on GitHub, no? Oh, I was. I think you were going to say that I was a bot. I, th I finally thought that you, you, you saw through me, that I am a bot, you finally. I'm, I'm, play I'm playing a bit more along with <laughs> 
Yes, well, uh, this is a nice pun. Thank you for that, Mark, because I just deactivated a bot today, which was kind of <laughs> hyperactive for some reason. Uh, yeah, so on GitHub, uh, you uh, have like a big play field to make all kind of actions and bots. So again, it's kind of like the gray area. What exactly is a bot, right? So uh, the thing that I created is you have to know a little bit about a little project that maybe we've mentioned before, the Xamarin Community Toolkit. And while setting up that repository, you could... Uh, I, I also set up builds. So whenever someone does a PR, it kicks off a build. Uh, but that build also produces NuGet packages. So those NuGet packages contain all the code up till then, um, including the code that you have put in that PR. So, you know, that can be very handy to for other people to verify whether that bug is fixed um, or to try out that new feature if you really can't wait for a stable or a nightly release. Um, so that is very nice. But a lot of people don't know that because you have to, you know, click on the GitHub status, uh, the build status, go to Azure DevOps, then you have to click your way through there and you know it's really far away so what i tried to do is have that bot whenever a build status is completed it will go into azure devops for you um, it will retrieve that link where you can get the nuget packages and it will post that back in a comment on that pr like hey uh, a new build is completed here's the nuget if you want to try it out high five so that was working pretty well but now, for some reason, maybe I put a little bit too much AI in there. Uh, no, it's a really <laughs> dumb bot. It's a really dumb bot. It's just a couple of statements and uh, doesn't do a whole lot. But what it does, and I still I haven't really checked logs or anything, uh, but what it did is it took issue number four, I think, uh, on the GitHub repository, and it started posting comments in there like, hey, your NuGet is ready, your NuGet is ready, your NuGet is ready. <laughs> It was an issue, so it's not a PR, so there's no build status attached. Uh, so I don't know why it started commenting on that issue, <laughs> um, but it was kind of all over the place. So I disabled it for now, and I have to check why it's doing that. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear. I, maybe someone hacked your bot, or your bot became sentient, or... Yeah. I don't know. It's I don't bug. know. It's we'll uh, hopefully it's a bug. I will I will keep you posted <laughs> on episodes here. But uh, yeah, so I don't know because it started out of the blue as well. Uh, so I I I'm really trying to you know for myself explain how this could happen, but uh, I can't figure it out. So yeah. I don't know. But you know the concept is nice. It's just these little tasks. Uh, and, you know, we can think of other things that this bot might do. You know, you have this repository where a lot is going on. So NuGets, making people aware of these NuGets is is one thing. Um, maybe, you know, there is, you could do some logic with, uh, of course, there is some uh, GitHub issues that people are opening. Uh, so, you know, maybe you can scan for things there and if they're talking about ios you can label it with the ios thing or maybe you know if there is a little bit more issues and you want to keep track of the things that you need to respond to maybe you want to check like hey did i respond to an issue um, am I expecting a response back, but didn't it come yet? And has it been like 30 days ago? Then maybe you want to ping them again or just close the issue. Like, hey, we didn't get a response, so maybe we should close this one. There's all kinds of things that you can do um, in this area with bots as well. I mean, one one bot that comes to mind when talking about GitHub is, I think, the Depender bot. It's his yes. official name. And uh, I love those bots because... It's just like such a simple thing to do. So what the, the Pennabot will do, it will check if there is a new version from a dependency that you're 
relying upon. And the website technology that we're using to run this Nullpointers website is Jekyll. So it will generate a static site and Jekyll is based on Ruby and Ruby has got gems. And since none of us three are avid Ruby developers, we might not always get when the latest version is out or when there might even be a slight security issue with one of the gems. And so what Dependabot will do is it will suggest, hey, it will make a PR for us to say, hey, there's a new version of this. And then it will check if everything is okay. And I think you can then even enable a bot that says, hey, if a PR all checks succeed it, just merge the thing. So we have auto dependency updates going through. And I know that there are other bots that uh, sometimes analyze your code if there are any issues. Um, within the code, if you've got like any security vulnerabilities, some of them actually can get quite smart and they can then inform you about these. And these are like little actions, as you said before, Gerald, and they can be really helpful. I mean, a, a human can do it. A human could do a review. A human could go Googling for all the packages and look all up all the latest numbers and then say, hey, there is an update for you. But uh, we're oftentimes busy pull refreshing Twitter and doing very important stuff like that. And I think it's really nice having bots that help you in these little ways, as long as they don't go sideways as your issue number four bot. But it, this is interesting, right? Because it can be very helpful the way you say like, hey, we have a dependent bot that says there is a new dependency or a vulnerability um, that, you know, that is out there. Uh, and here's the update, automatic PR. Then maybe you have a, another bot that says, hey, maybe if there's a PR from Dependabot, I can merge it through. And we have another action in place that whenever a new build is available, it will automatically also push that through to our website. But if now there is some kind of um, exploit somewhere um, in that process and you have like, what was, what was the, oh, I can't remember the name of that Russian hack thing that got a lot of... Microsoft stuff and um, you know what I'm talking about that was in the news like the other week big hack oh man well the, our you listeners just, know our yeah. listeners know you just I'm pretty sure just, oh. yeah um, anyway but that I think that injected some code through a build pipeline as well JetBrains uh, was blamed at some point. I think that wasn't like entirely fair. Um, I, I didn't read up on all the details. Is is that the solar winds thing? Solar winds, thank you. Yes, okay. so solar winds. Uh, that was what I was talking about. But if they get somewhere in between, right? Then it, they inject some code, and everything goes automatically, and boom! Suddenly, your website is uh, producing malware or something, right? So that is that is another issue that might um, go there. I'm talking about this, which is going back to you know the usefulness of bots, uh, which is also a thing that I set up for this uh, Xamarin Community Toolkit is uh, code formatting because every th everyone thinks that's important. Everyone wants to have nice code formatting, uh, but no one wants to actually check it, right? So that is something that you really want to do with code. And the thing that I set up is um, it will check your editor config, uh, for all the rules that are set up there um, and it will actually fix them and it will open a PR with those fixes. Um, so, you know, for now it was a PR so you can manually check like, hey, do I not have anything weird in there? But it could just as well be um, merge it, commit it right to the branch or, or whatever, right? So, um, yeah, it's all those kinds of things that you, you know, you don't want to be bothered with manually. You don't want to, you know, have that cognitive load. You just want to focus on 
um, the important bits and um, yeah, leave leave the bots to the rest. I think security is a very interesting aspect. And I think that generally goes for a lot of things when you try to automate something. You always have to keep in the back of your head what if this automation fails? What if it goes haywire? So if we look at our websites, I mean, if something would go wrong with null pointers, uh, this would be really devastating for us and probably also for our users. Uh, but if we put it like on the big scale of things, how easy would it be to roll back and everything? I think it would be manageable. I think we could quite quickly re revert back to a state that would be okay. Uh, but there are other parts of, of certain applications where I think it's good to think about what are your quality gates and also involve some human intelligence into it. Uh, because I think the job of a bot is not to replace a human entirely. It's more to assist humans when they're doing stuff. And I think we have also mentioned that on a previous show on AI. Talking about AI and all these things and implementing these natural language processing or like speech to text and all stuff like that. Those are also stuff or things that can come up when we think about developing an app. So did anybody of you ever integrate a chat bot or a bot into a mobile application? And if so, for what? Well, not technically a mobile application. Uh, was it? No. So no. Uh, and, and it was actually with the Microsoft Bot Framework and Telegram. So, you know, all the things are coming together here. All and that buzzwords. was a customer that uh, wanted to do something with, uh, I think they wanted to send like receipts into their backend system, into their administration kind of administration software thing that they had going on. At that time, the customer didn't have the budget to create a whole custom application for that. So what we did is write a bot um, on the Microsoft bot framework, which is pretty cool because what you can do with that is write the logic for that bot, which again is just an ASP.NET application. Um, but it has this um, concept of different connectors. So you could connect uh, Telegram to it and it will talk to Telegram. Or you could uh, connect WhatsApp. I think they had a connector at some point um, and you could interact with it with WhatsApp or they had their own web interface or you could write your whole own uh, connector. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the logic would remain the same because you know all that's coming in there is basically either strings, images, those kinds of things, right? And so it's it's just a couple of things that, that can come in. So as long as you transform that, uh, the logic can remain the same. So that was cool. So he didn't have the budget at that time to write a custom full-blown app. Uh, so what we did is write that bot uh, with the intention, like, you know, we could hook it up to something else if needed. Uh, but for now, we're just going to hook it up to Telegram. Uh, and I think Facebook, we did that too. So, you know, they uh, the customers of that administration um, software could just connect through their Facebook account or Telegram account, and they could, um, you know, with some commands, um, authenticate themselves. Um, it had some kind of two-factor thing. So inside of their administration package, they would have to generate uh, a code and they would have to input that on the bot, well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and from that moment on, they could send like images of their receipts in there. And then whenever they were back at their desktop system, they could see that same image and they could input all the rest of the details and um, process that and, and be done with it. So that was, I think, the one and only actual real case scenario business thing that I ever created with it. I think we we actually at some point did one or more 
proof of concepts for a uh, driver who is driving and uh, since he's driving he's not allowed to use his phone obviously so he the driver needed a way to well easily get tasks done on the mobile um so basically i think we we proof of concepted out a very big button that would then listen for some voice uh input and process that to text send that off to some sort of logic somewhere and yeah perform that action at least that was the the concept i don't think we ever got beyond that but it was fun to do reminds me of a app prototype that uh, i also was allowed to develop it was for a different setup it was not a driver but it was someone who was doing work with their hands and they had to give uh, I don't remember anymore was it measurements or was it some instructions but they had to talk to the phone so they would have they wanted to input uh, data into the phone but their hands were occupied or dirty and all that and so there was like this concept how you could then do this speech to text and then fill out this information that the person would have to do while doing his job and those uh yeah that was that was something interesting to do and i think it just shows that you can actually integrate these bots quite well also into mobile apps or into web apps uh a lot of them the more sophisticated you get the more power you need and the more dependent you will be to have a server in the background processing these things as for now but if you look at what right now goes into these new chips that are coming to the mobile phones. The AI part seems to be more and more important. So I know that Apple has got some dedicated uh, calls on their chips that are there for uh, neural net processing. And that is also natural language processing, which will fall into that category. So maybe one day we'll be able to do that on a phone. But for now, we still often have to rely into the back end. And another thing that I once saw, and I think that was like in that phase where the chat framework from or the bot framework from microsoft came up was some apps that just had like the style of a chat app uh i remember there was for uh, one railway company i did not work personally on the app but there was uh, this uh, concept of an app where you could purchase tickets for a train ride using a chat interface so it could it was very streamlined so it would tell you uh what uh, commands it would accept right now and stuff like that but um, yeah, it was it was a new way of how you could do such a, a UI, and those have gone again a bit away. But I think there are quite a few uh, scenarios within our daily lives where using our hands to enter commands might not be the most convenient, and I think that's why Gerald uh, openly admits to having a huge search provider infiltrating all of his household rooms so he can send off commands to activate and deactivate the light. Absolutely. And as long as it works nicely, you know, then then it works nicely. Uh, so another thing that I'm trying to say is that you <laughs> actually use it, right? Because a lot of people will go like, uh, I'm not good to talk in public to blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, a lot of people turn out to talk public over the phones because they're on speaker or listen to music on speaker. I, I don't know why. It's probably a generation gap or something. I'm getting old. Uh, but, you know, and I think the the main problem was that you had to be very specific, like, you know, uh, still like in my car, there's this very basic kind of bot thing, uh, which I really have to tell call person or call and then, you know, go over all the digits of the phone number, um, else it will not uh, understand. And then still end up calling the person that which name you did not 
Yeah, exactly. Orange will navigate me to Switzerland. I don't know. Uh, but Welcome. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it's getting used or not, depending on how well it works. Um, and I've tried Siri for a while, which was, you know, whenever they introduced that, I think it was pretty good for the time being, but it very fast became not so good. Well, you know, the quality remained the same, but that's that's the whole problem, right? It didn't really advance beyond that point. So right now it's, yeah, it's not really... Th- if you compare like the Google and, and Siri thing, then that is a world of difference. I, I, I can't tell for the Alexa, the Amazon Alexa thing. I've never used that one. And that brings me, by the way, to, you know, the it's been out there for a while, the Google duplex thing. Um, also, I didn't really hear anything much about that lately. Uh, it was available only in English. And I think, uh, Mark, that you mentioned something about, you know, make dinner reservations and that kind of stuff. I think it's already two or three years ago that they demoed that thing in a Google conference. Um, I, I saw that, noticed that Mark was looking like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I know that one. Ah, okay. So uh, that's the name for it, Google Duplex. And it, that one is really impressive because uh, and scary. Uh, because that could do a couple of things, one of which was make an appointment with uh, a restaurant, I think. So you could give a command to that bot. I don't know how they did that, actually. Maybe you would just sit behind your computer and go to Google, search for a restaurant, and have a button that says make reservation or something. But um, And it would go out and call with voice. So call basically from your plan your number, it would call that restaurant and it would say, hey, I would like to make a reservation. Uh, then it would say, how many persons? And that bot would say, okay, three. Uh, but then, And then they would ask, oh, so the, I think the demo went on like, okay, what time? And uh, the bot says, uh, I don't know, 6.30. And they said, oh, we can't do that. We only have a time at 7 p.m. I don't know. And then that bot would actually like imitate like uh, it had to think. So it would go like, um, I have to think about that. Um, and then it would be like, oh, okay, that's good. So it was actually mimicking like the the person's things that you would say whenever you're thinking or pausing or whatever, right? Uh, this episode is going to be full of ums and ms and hms. Uh, so um. lots of examples. It's so cool to watch that, that technology can do this. It would actually, you know, interacting with another human being if you talk about like... Um, so if this was a Turing test, then, you know, it would pass probably because the person at the other side would have not known that they were talking to a computer. So that is really, really cool and scary at the same time, because, you know, where does that end that you do not know that you're actually calling with a computer or not? And, and what can it do besides um, making dinner reservations? But yeah, so I haven't really heard of uh, how that project went on, but that is something that was Google was doing with all this AI stuff as well. Yeah, I think it's still alive. So I just could <laughs> alive, that's fine. <laughs> I quickly jumped on DuckDuckGo and searched it out. And it seems that as of October 2020, according to Wikipedia, Google has expanded duplex to businesses in eight countries. So oh my. Yeah, it seems to be alive, but it, I think for a long time it was quite limited. They also say it was only limited release Pixel phone users, Atlanta, New York, Phoenix, San Francisco. Might be why it is no longer at the top of my mind. But I remember the demo. That was quite cool and scary. Still cool. But I think those show the powers that you could have when these chatbots get further. And I know that natural language processing is still not yet solved. It's like the next big thing that a lot of scientists are trying to tackle 
are, is this natural language processing so that you could have a conversation and the other side would not notice that quickly that you're chatting with the bots. These days, you can still fool them. A lot of times, you still have to follow along a bit of a script. And yeah, those other things. So you can then notice when the bot suddenly falls out of its uh, usual style and starts to ask or answer questions in a wrong fashion. And the other side just goes like, you are a bit stupid, aren't you? But yeah, I mean, we, we need something for, for the future. And with that, I think that wraps up our episode on bots. We have been your hosts, Mark Alibone, Stephen Davison, and Gerald Sluis. And I promise you, this episode was not done by bots. What are your experiences with bots, or did we miss something of interest? Let us know on Twitter at nullpointers.io. Remember, our DMs are open, as Gerald always likes to remind me. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Stay safe, and until next week on Null Pointers. Meet more.